0: So we have been in the midst of this uh, periodic sermon series uh, on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, That is to say that whenever I show up on a Sunday, we talk about the Lord's Prayer. And we have been looking at the different uh, clauses in the Lord's Prayer and wondering about uh, Jesus' instruction to us about our own prayer life. A couple of times ago, we took a look at the theme to pray is to change, to be in relationship with God is to be open ourselves to the change that God wants to affect in our lives. Second uh, time around, we took a look at to pray is to work such that as we pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, that we pray uh, agreeing that we will work toward those ends, that we will make our lives about those very purposes of bringing about God's kingdom and God's will. Today, today we're taking a look at. Uh, to pray is to wonder about what God is up to in our lives in such a way that we would be a part of His mission and purpose to be about His accomplishment of that will. And to pray is to trust. To trust that God will provide for me as I carry out His will and purpose. So, to that end, Luke chapter eighteen beginning at the first verse. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused. But later he said to himself, though, I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But this... And people were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, let the little children come to me and do not stop them for to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. For truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And then these words. As we have heard from Micah chapter six verses six through eight, the prophet speaks and says, "With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul?" No, He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Humbly we would pray, O Lord. That by Your grace and through Your Spirit, You would allow our wills and our purposes to get out of the way. That we might wonder, even as we pray, what is Your will and what is Your purpose? For the sake of Your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. In three days, Americans will gather in all sorts of ways to celebrate the anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, July 4, 1776. We mark it as our birthday, this date etched at the top of Thomas Jefferson's treatise, memorializing the act of the Second Continental Congress, staking the colony's claim as independent and sovereign entity. The actual vote for independence took place two days before, on July the 2nd, which John Adams assumed would be the day that Americans would remember forever. However, it is the date, July the 4th, the date of the Declaration itself that we adopted as our birthday. It was on that day that the 56 members of the Second Continental Congress began to affix their signatures. Some signed on July 4th and others signed later in the summer. But regardless, we will celebrate as we have for the past 142 years with fireworks, picnics, parades, yard work, patriotic concerts, this courageous act of the 56. Courageous may be an understatement. The 56 men who signed the Declaration understood more than anybody else what risk they were taking. They were rebelling. They were enacting a revolution. They were choosing a path of independence and freedom. A path away from tyranny. And the men who signed the Declaration were before others, before all others, were embracing this path. And with their signatures commencing down a road from which they knew there was no return. By and large, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were people of faith, some theists, some Christian, even a Presbyterian minister, John Witherspoon. Most, by inference, men of some sort of prayer life. And in their prayers heard the voice of God pointing them toward this path of rebellion and independence. Five signers were captured by the British, convicted as traitors, and were tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships resulting from the war itself. Be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for because the truth is prayer is to be inextricably linked to a path. It is prayer that leads us to a path, and it is the path that leads us to pray. When Jesus teaches us about prayer and offers this model of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, He begins by establishing this relational connection of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, which establishes this relationship of trust and opens us up to this change within ourselves that would lead us toward this relationship of well-being. That's the purpose of God, to change us such that we might enjoy this relationship of well-being, to save us from our Now, once in this relationship of well-being, we become partners with God in this life of well-being in relationship with God's people. Our well-being is found in the well-being of others. We love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. We begin to see our fellow human beings as God sees our fellow human beings, as the image of God, the amago dei, the reflection of God's light we we see the divine spark inside every human being and we act toward them accordingly this is the will and the kingdom of god so we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done and to do so we sign up for the work toward this world of justice and grace and mercy to work for the well-being of god's children it's the path outlined by the prophet Micah. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love, kindness, and walk humbly with your God? This is the path to, to walk humbly with God to do justice and to love kindness its the path of Jesus right in fact prayer has everything to do with the person and the path when we decide to follow Jesus when we decide that Jesus is the person we're going to follow prayer becomes then this journey of trust in the person and in the path upon which he leads us the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul and in the Bible these green pastors these still waters these restored souls have everything to do with our relationship to God's people it is not about you it is not about me no the Bible says the Lord's Prayer says it is about us it is this path Upon which Jesus leads us. So in prayer, we're always talking with Jesus about this path he has us on. What am I being called to do in relationship with God's people around me? How, how do I, Jesus? How do I do justice? How do I love kindness? How much justice and kindness do you want me to do, Jesus? And do I have what it takes? And in response, Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, give me, O God, as much as I might need for the path I'm on. To pray is to trust that God will provide me what I need for the path upon which the person of Jesus is leading me. Provide me, O oh God, with what I need today to do two simple things to do justice and to be kind. It's what the widow was praying for right in Jesus' parable. She wants justice. And the unjust judge, even worn down by her entreaty, gives it to her. And Jesus says, well, you know, if it's justice you want, well, of course, the God of justice will give it to you. You see, prayer has everything to do with the person and the path. God is eager to give you what you need to enact justice and kindness for his people. Now, what the Bible is quick to point out from the very beginning and from the very beginning until the very end. Is that one of the struggles we human beings have is the sphere. That we're not going to have. Enough. Adam and Eve were not sure they had enough, so they decided to try out the forbidden tree. Moses wasn't sure he had enough to go back to Egypt, so he asked God to send somebody else. Elijah didn't have enough for his journey until finally the angels arrived. The Israelites didn't think they had enough in the daily manna that fell from heaven, so they started stockpiling In Jesus' parable, the man keeps building bigger and bigger barns because, you know, you're never sure that you've got enough. It is the human condition, the fear of not having enough. And what the Bible reminds us about over and over again is that this fear and this preoccupation with having enough can get us so preoccupied that we forget what path we're on and who it is we're following. And then we start praying about things that don't have anything to do with the path. And instead, we start praying out of our fear. Lord, 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 give me more. Give me not this day, not this month, not this year. Give me more than I need for a lifetime. And then we realize that we've been so fixated on these things that we've lost track of the person and the path. We have forgotten that it's about loving God And loving neighbor, doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with Jesus as I seek to notice every person who bears the image of God. Men and I just came back from some time up in Glacier National Park and it reminded me of the times when I've done some hiking through the national parks and often it has been with a guide who knows not only the path but what to look for along the path. You walk for a while with this guide and then she stops and she points out something to you that you wouldn't have recognized yourself, a bird, a plant, an animal, hopefully not a bear. And because you've trusted this guide, you expect, her to show you things that will contribute to the well-being of your experience. It's the whole point of the person and the path to be immersed in the joy of the pilgrimage. So imagine how the trip might go down this path if my preoccupation is to find a five-star dinner and a five-star hotel. Excuse me, I would say to the trail guide. When do we get to Ruth Chris Steakhouse in the Ritz-Carlton? And she says to me, oh, I'm sorry, either you're being really funny or you're on the wrong path. And maybe that's the point that Jesus makes when he tells the story a couple of chapters Earlier in Luke about the man living in the fine house and wearing the fine clothes and eating the finest food. And right at the edge of his little gated community is this poor and hungry and sore covered beggar named Lazarus. And somewhere along the way, Jesus suggests to us, the rich man got focused so much on having enough. He lost sight of the path. He lost sight of Lazarus. He got praying about the wrong things. The Ritz-Carlton in the middle of the forest. And he missed the path that would take him into the divine sparks of the image of God. That's what that Pharisee got wrong in Jesus' other parable. He thought the prayer was about him. Him and didn't know that prayer is about what kindness he might be able to muster for the poor old tax collector who's praying for God's mercy. It's easy, isn't it, to get praying about the wrong things. Fear does that to you. It makes you think you'll never have enough. And it keeps you from the person in the path. So maybe all the things we'll be thinking about three days from now amidst the fireworks and the hot dogs. We might think about what those 56 men did with their fears. Because you know they had them. I mean, real fears. I mean, real fears. <laughs> Life and death fears. You know they had them. But the question is, what did they do with them? I suppose it depends upon the path you feel you're on and the one who has you there. Abraham and Sarah traveling to Canaan. I'm sure they were afraid. Moses wandering through the wilderness. No doubt he was afraid. Ruth, the Moabite, joining herself to her mother-in-law, Naomi, two widows heading to Bethlehem. I bet you they were afraid. Speaking of Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph making their way from Nazareth. They had to have been afraid. Paul sailing to pagan Greece. Yeah, he was afraid. The list goes on. But somewhere along the path, they stopped worrying that they were going to have enough. They kind of let the good Lord take care of that. To pray is to trust. All they had to do was walk the trail and look at what God had them to see. The divine spark inside every living soul. The imago Dei inside every Lazarus. Maybe it's what John and Frank saw. John and Frank John Williams the bus driver in Milwaukee Wisconsin driving his bus on one of those bone-chilling 10 degree Wisconsin days that we've all escaped from to Florida he pulled up at the stop to pick up the next group from the next bus stop and onto the bus walked a pregnant woman with a tattered coat torn socks and no shoes 10 degrees no shoes John looked in the mirror as she made her way to the back of the bus to sit. And he wondered, what is he going to do with this woman who's got no shoes? Another human being. Another divine spark. Ten degrees, no shoes. What's he going to do? He didn't have to wonder too long. For in the mirror he could see a young man, Frank Daly, 14 years old, walked forward from the back of the bus in his stocking feet with his shoes in his hand. Here, he said to the divine spark before him. Here, you take these. Somewhere along the way, Jesus said you have to become like a little child to enter the kingdom. Less afraid, I suppose, where your next shoes are coming from. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide me with what I need today, O Lord, to do what you require. Justice, kindness, and to walk humbly with you.